Romans chapter 2. Praise the Lord. Thank God for his word. Amen. Jesus said, Man, you shall not give up to the but by every word that out of the mouth of God. And we have the word of God today, and that's what we live by. Thank you, Brother Bob. We live by the word of God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you for your giving. Romans chapter 2 and in verse 1. Hallelujah. The Bible says in verse 1, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same thing. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Our, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. But after thy hardness and impotent, impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. 
Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. For circumcision verily profiteth, if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is he is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, even the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We ask you to give us understanding and revelation in it today, God, that you would speak to our hearts, God. We thank you for your word. We love your word. We appreciate you today. Thank you, God, for this church and, God, for your precious goodness towards us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Romans chapter 1, we dealt with the Gentiles in unbelief. And, of course, Gentiles were all the nations of the world that were not Jewish by descent or by race. And so we saw in the first chapter all these Gentiles who were not following after God and all the things that they had done um, and showing that, that they had rejected God out of their life. But now we come to the second chapter. Let me explain to you what's happening. You see, when Paul was in Corinth, he could look out of his house and he could see all of those people of the first chapter. He saw the idolaters. He saw people bowing down to false gods and all these idols everywhere. And he saw immorality that was just tremendously involved with in the city of Corinth. In fact, if uh, you were going to look at a person and, and saw that they were a person who was completely given over to sin, then you would call them by a name. And that name would be the Corinth. They had become Corinthianized. Because Corinth was known for their immorality and for their sin and for their just their literally turning their back on God. So Paul could see all of these people that he wrote about in the first chapter of the book of Romans. But now he comes to a different group of people. And this group of people is the religious people. These are not people who claim to be in sin. These people in the second chapter are people who claim to be religious, okay? And he could also look out of his house and see that same kind of person, and that was a Jew. The Jews, you know, they, they had the law under their arms. They had the outward appearance of, of religion. And they claimed that, yeah, we're better than these Gentiles over here that won't serve God, and, and they're, they're in sin and living in sin, and... And so these Jewish people who were very, very religious, 
could look down at them and say, you know, yeah, we agree with God that God's judgment needs to fall on those people. But God begins to talk to them. And he begins to show the Jews that just because you become religious doesn't make you saved. And that a religious person needs to be saved just as much as the person who lives out in the world. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So chapter 2, verse 20 says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. You see, these Jewish people, these religious people, did not believe in Jesus. They did not believe that he was the Messiah. They didn't believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they were depending on their, the law and on religion to get them to heaven. Uh, they were depending on their own good works to get them to heaven. And the Lord is showing them that they are just as guilty as the person that's in the world and that they need salvation too. And can you imagine that these Gentiles of the first chapter of the book of Romans, as they would look at the Jewish nation, the Jewish nation were supposed to be God's chosen people, and they look out at this Jewish nation of people that had all the advantages. They had the law, the word of God. The Gentiles didn't have that. They had nature. They had creation to look at to come to the conclusion that there was a God. But they look at the Jewish person, and he's religious to the core. I mean, you don't get any more religious than the Jew was. And so these Gentiles would look at these Jewish people carrying the law of God under their arms, and I'm sure it would cause them to wonder, you know, if this was God's people, why don't they believe that Jesus is the Savior? Why haven't they turned over to the Lord? And the reason why they had was, was because they were, they were relying upon their religion instead of Jesus Christ. They were relying upon their own goodness instead of the Lord Jesus. If anybody could be good enough to go to heaven, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. So no matter how good these people were and no matter how much they read the Word of God and no matter how much they went to church, if they had never been born again, they're just as lost as the person out in the world. We're going to explain that to you today. Amen? He says this, but verse 2, we are sure... You need to really probably follow me if you've got a Bible in front of your pew there. Romans chapter 2, because there's some things that he's saying here that we need to look at so we can understand them. Romans chapter 2 and verse 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Amen. So the Jewish person standing there, and he's judging the Gentiles in the world, and he's condemning them. But he himself is condemned. Let me give you an example of this. When Jesus went before Pilate, and Pilate, in a sense, was on the judgment seat, he was going to pass judgment on Jesus. But really, who was, who was being judged that day when Jesus stood in front of Pilate? Was it Pilate that was judging Jesus, or was it really Jesus that was judging Pilate? Because Jesus was the Savior, Pilate was the condemned man. But Pilate, the condemned man, is standing in judgment over the Savior of the world. So we see an example of that in the Jewish people. They are 
standing there, in their, or their, you could say sitting there on their judgment seats, looking at the people in the world who were completely involved in sin, and they're passing judgment on those people in the world, but yet they haven't believed Jesus either. They haven't been born again either. So they're condemned just as, in fact, let me share this with you. Their condemnation is greater than those people that were out in the world because those people out in the world only had creation and they, they only had nature and uh, to show them that there was a God. They had never had the Word of God. They didn't have the law of God. So the fact that the Jews had the Word of God and the law of God, they had greater understanding about God than those people in the world. And so these, these people, these Jewish people who were religious were passing judgment on those out in the world, but they were in greater danger than the people out in the world because they had the light of God's Word but still would not obey it. Listen, the United States of America, you know, somebody might say, well, the United States of America is better off than the other countries like China and Russia, so on and so forth, those powers where it's pretty well known that they've kind of thrown God out, right? They've rejected that there is a God, for the most part, the government. And people of America, they look at our country and they say, the United States of America must be better off than Russia or China, those powers who reject God. But listen, America's not better off than those countries. It is worse off. Because the more light that God gives you, the more responsibility you have for that light. So if a person's in the world and he's never heard the gospel, he's never heard the truth, and he hasn't obeyed it, he's lost. But what about the church member, the religious person, who goes to church every week and he hears the truth or she hears the truth preached and she doesn't obey it and she doesn't live by it and doesn't follow it, then they're condemned even greater than the person out in the world because the religious person has more light and more understanding. So the more light we have and the more understanding we have and the more opportunity we have brings greater judgment from God. And so God says, my judgment is according to truth. This is very important. Because some people today, they believe that just because they don't understand God's Word, that that sets them free from His judgment. Are you with me so far? Okay. So in some sense, people deceive themselves into thinking that I'm good enough to go to heaven. My good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, so I must be good enough to go to heaven. And, and so let me explain to you. Does that mean when a person believes that they're good enough to go to heaven, does that mean they're going to be there? A person can walk in that self-deception thinking that they're saved by their goodness, and, but that is not going to protect them from God's judgment. Amen. Praise the Lord. And this person here, this religious person, thinks that he's good enough to stand before God and be saved because he goes to church or he reads his Bible all the time or he might even stand in the synagogues and pray and he must be good enough to make it to heaven. But God says, I will judge according to truth, my word. So don't look at your life and think that you're good enough to go to heaven if you've not been born again. And just because you, you're religious doesn't make you saved. 
Hallelujah. Are you with me today? You see, some people have this concept that, well, I can look at the people in the world and I can say, yeah, they're real bad, you know? And then they come to church and they become religious but never been born again, never been saved. So they stand over there and they look at the people in the world and they, they say, look how bad they are, look what all they do, you know. And they come to the house of God and, and they've never been born again themselves. But in their mind, here's what they're doing. Every time they come to church, they think that they've got one more good deed to put on the scale. And they, they go to church, or they read the Bible. Maybe they go, go to church on Easter or on the holidays. You know, that's the only time you'll see them is on Easter and on holidays. They say, well, I went to church on Easter, so I got one more good deed to put on the scale. I prayed this morning, so I got one more good deal to put good deed to put on the scale. Hey, I read my Bible, I got one more good deed to put on the scale. Amen. And they haven't a concept and an ideal, a religious person does, that someday my good will outweigh my bad. And the scales are going to be tipped and God's going to, I'm going to stand before God and He's going to say, well, your good outweighs your bad, so come on into the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord. So their whole life has this ideal that, well, I wonder where, where the, scale, the scale is tipping. Is the scale leaning towards my goodness? Am I, am I doing more good than I am bad? And now their whole life is concerned with, well, one more good deed. Hopefully I'm okay now. Amen. And they live their whole life waiting for a day, and that day is when they stand before God, and they are hoping the whole time that they were religious enough and they were good enough to stand before God and be saved. And they won't even know until they get there whether or not they made it. So every day of their life, they're trying to add one more good deed upon another good deed so that, that it'll outweigh the bad deeds in their life. And when they stand there, God will accept them. And they won't even know it until they get before Him if, if their goodness was good enough. Amen. But God is going to show us here that the good person, the person who tries to live morally, who tries to do right, if they're not born again by the power of the gospel, they are lost. They're lost. And he's going to show us that that person is guilty, is condemned by the Lord. If he hasn't obeyed the gospel. Praise the Lord. Are y'all with me today? <clears throat> Look at it. In verse 3. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things? Dost thou the same, that thou should escape the judgment of God? So he's a self-righteous man. You follow what I'm saying? Self-righteous. He feels like his goodness is better than somebody else's goodness. So he must be pretty good. He must be acceptable by God. But he looks at it sin in people's lives and he condemns that sin but he's guilty of sin in his own life I'm not talking about a born again person I'm talking about a self-righteous person that looks at somebody else and says well I'm not as bad as they are so you know God must be able must going to be except me so they're pointing the finger at somebody else 
but they refuse to recognize that they need God for themselves. And an example of that is when Jesus was there and this woman that was caught in adultery was taken to Jesus by the religious leaders of Israel and they threw her down at the feet of Jesus and they, they wanted to hear what he would say and they were hoping that he would say, take her out and stone her to death according to the law. She should die. They were waiting for him to say that. You see, they're religious and they're pointing the finger at this woman. She deserves to die. And what does Jesus do? The Bible says he goes down the, the ground there and he writes on the, in the dust of the earth. And the scripture says, he said, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And one by one by one by one of those religious men, self-righteous men, left Jesus. And all that was left was a woman who was caught in the very act of sin. And the Lord said, I forgive you, go and sin no more. So she found salvation at the foot of Jesus. She was guilty. She had broken the law. She deserved to die. But she stays there with Jesus and Jesus forgives her. The religious men left Jesus when they understood that they were guilty. That's why they left him. He said, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. And not one of them could because there was sin in their lives. But they were pointing the finger at this woman and they were judging her. But then a greater judge is sitting here. His name is Jesus. He's God in flesh. He's perfect. And he writes the law. He writes in the, in the dust to the ground. And, and he condemns those men who are pointing the finger at that woman by the law and so they were judging her right but they needed salvation themselves instead of leaving the side of Jesus and leaving that woman by herself they should have stayed right there and said Jesus we found out now that we're sinners too that we haven't obeyed the law perfectly either Therefore, we need salvation. And just like you've forgiven this woman, we need that kind of forgiveness in our lives. And they should have fell uh, at the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ for forgiveness, but they didn't. They continued in their religion. So do you understand? I'm giving you an example here. If a person thinks that he can be saved by his following of the law and his obedience to the Word of God, he will find out that he's come one step, to, one step short that he hasn't lived perfectly obedient to God's Word. Therefore, he must flee to the cross and find salvation and be born again. But the religious man refuses to do that. He likes to point out everybody else's sin. And he's just as lost, in fact, even more lost than the person in the world because he's got religion and he thinks religion is going to save him and he's never been born again. And God says, your religion and your life that you have and that the word that you've heard makes you uh, in greater condemnation than the person that's in the world. Don't think it's making you better and that you're going to be saved by your good deeds or by your religion. You cannot be saved by your religion and you cannot be saved by your good deeds impossible hallelujah
God says, I'm going to judge by truth. Praise the Lord. See, they needed salvation. The religious man needs salvation, basically is what he's saying. The religious man needs salvation as much as the person in the world. Hallelujah. I've said many times, I thank God that he delivered me from myself. I thank God that he delivered me from my religion. I was raised in church. Some of you were raised in church. And I could have acted like that I was okay because I was raised in church, right? But one day, God began to get a hold of me and said, Hey, you're, you're not saved. You're not born again. You live just like the people in the world do. Yet you're religious. You're religious. You go to church on Sunday, but you party all week long. You're religious. And God began to deal with me and began to convict me and show me that I was lost as I could possibly be. And I thought I was saved because I went to church. It'd be better, it'd have been better for me to be in the world completely understand that I was a sinner in need of a Savior than to be going to church and thinking I was saved and I was lost. That's dangerous. That's more dangerous than the person that's in the world. Because you think you're saved and you're not. And, okay, pray, are y'all with me? Let's read on. Okay, look at verse 4. He says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? The Jew or the religious person who doesn't flee to the cross is worse off than the person that's in the world. Hallelujah. How many people have you tried to win to the Lord and they say, well, I'm a this or I'm a that? And they call their church title out. That don't make you a Christian. Then you take the Word of God out and you say, have you been born again? And they say, well, no, I'm a this or I'm a that. Well, you're still lost if you've not been born again. Praise the Lord. If you haven't fled to Calvary and bowed your knee at the foot of Calvary and said, Jesus, forgive me of my sin and been born again of the water and the Spirit, then you're just religious. Hallelujah. So he says, look at this. He said, do you despise the riches of God's goodness and the forbearance, the long-suffering of God? not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Here they are. They're standing religiously and they're depending on their own good works to make it to heaven, condemning everybody that's out in the world and they're lost as, as they are. In fact, worse condition. And he is telling them that you are despising the goodness of God. Praise the Lord. Because it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. And listen, people have, in America especially, have gotten to a point where they are, have become comfortable with their sin. And the reason why that is is because God's judgment hasn't fallen today. Amen. And because God hasn't judged today and His goodness and His mercy is being extended to people, then they take that goodness wrongly. 
they take His goodness and His mercy and His grace in their life as an approval of their life. Amen? But that goodness, that long-suffering that has kept back God's judgment upon them is not approval of their life. It is given to lead them to repentance. And they think because God hasn't judged me today, that means everything must be okay between me and God. And God's goodness is not saying, I approve you. God's saying, I'm giving you space to repent. I'm giving you time to change before my wrath falls on you. Praise the Lord. Let's read on. Verse 5, it says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, unrepented heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. He's saying, what, he, what he's saying is there's going to be a payday. And just because you didn't have to pay today doesn't mean that you're not going to have to pay. And you're taking that mercy and that grace for granted in your life. And it's supposed to lead you to an altar. And you're supposed to cast yourself on God and ask for forgiveness and live for Him. But you're taking that as an, a license for sin, an approval of God. But God tells us there's going to be a payday that's going to come. Amen? Listen, let me give you an example. If I walked into a, a hotel room and I begin to charge up with that manager certain things at that hotel room and they're, you know, constantly going in there and charging one thing. Or let's look at it this way, a department store somewhere. You walk in there, you charge one thing. Credit, you know, credit. Everybody likes credit. And you just charge one day and then you go back the next day and you charge another day. And every day you go in there, you charge something else and you act like just because you haven't had to pay today that the payday's not going to happen that you're not going to have to pay for it, right? But it keeps building up. That account keeps building up. And pretty soon you get deeper and deeper and deeper into debt. And finally the bill collectors come knocking on your door and say, you need to pay for this. You've charged it up. That's the way people are today. They think they can continue to live in sin because that God hasn't judged them right now. But God is telling you that when you live without Him in salvation, every day of your life, every sin that you commit is being stacked up one upon another and there's going to be a day when you're going to have to pay for it with your life so don't think that just because you got away with it today that you're not going to have to uh, be accountable for it you're going to be accountable for it amen praise the lord the bible says in the old testament that their feet shall slip in due time. So listen, a person walks this life there without God. Maybe they become religious and maybe they're dependent on their own goodness. But God is saying that their, their, their wrath is just being piled up, piled up, stored up because they're going to have to be paid. And the day of wrath is talking about when people stand before Him at the white throne judgment and then they will be judged and cast into a lake of fire. That is the day of wrath. 
And every person that walks in this life, whether they be in the world or whether they be in church unconverted and unsaved, they are walking a very, very thin protection over hell. Let me look at it. Let me show you this way. If I walked out across a, a lake that had been frozen, okay, and I get on that, on that lake and I'm walking along here, and hey, the first step wasn't too, you know, I didn't fall in, right? I was scared to death the first step I took because I thought, boy, I'm going in. But the first step, I didn't fall in, so I take another step, and I don't fall in. And every step that I take out on that ice, because I haven't fallen in, I have more confidence with the next, next step. And the next step, I take more confidence because I haven't fallen in, I haven't been judged. But then all of a sudden, I take another step, the day comes, payday comes. And I take that step and I go plunging right into the water and, I'm, and I drown and I die. That's where the world is today. They are living without God. They're depending on their own goodness or they're living out in the world and they're like walking on ice and they have become more confident because they didn't fall in the first time. But God says all that's doing is just storing up more and more wrath upon you. Every time you take a step, you're getting closer to judgment. And someday your feet will slip. Someday you're going to fall in without Him. Or just because you walk out on ice and you don't go, your feet shoot up like this and your head goes onto the ground the first time you take the step. Keep walking, keep talking, keep moving, and then you're going to slip. What God's trying to show us is that, you know, people are on this, like this, mountain and they're walking up this slippery mountain this ice and hell is down here below and they're they're making they made the first step they made another step but all of a sudden boom their, their feet slips out from underneath them and they go plunging down into hell what a sad thing that is to know that the only possession that some people have is eternal damnation and they're taking god's goodness and mercy for granted So let's look at the verse. He says, After the hardness and impotent heart, treasured up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. It's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. The longer you walk without Him, and pretty soon a day's coming and you're going to have to pay. And that payment is the lake of fire. It's the wrath of God. The wrath of God is the lake of fire. Amen. Listen, everybody's accountable to God. Every one of us are accountable to God. Not just the people in the world are going to be accountable on that day, but the religious people are going to be accountable to God, and, and even you and I will be accountable to God. I may not stand before the white throne judgment and be cast into a lake of fire, but I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and I will be judged for those things that I have been have done in this body. You and I will stand before Him and be judged for our works. Praise the Lord. 
everybody is accountable to God. In Acts chapter 17, Paul went and preached to Athens and Athens, Greece. I mean, you know, they were full of philosophy and everything else. And Paul said this in the 17th chapter. He said, God commands everyone to repent. Times past, he winked at ignorance, but now he commands everyone to repent. That means the Jew and the Gentile, the religious person, the person that trusts in his own good deeds, or the person that's out in the world and knows they're out in the world, he said there's still an accountability before God. Praise the Lord. Oh, man, are y'all with me today? He says in verse 6, who will render to every man according to his deeds. God's judgment, first of all, the Bible says in verse 2 that it's according to truth not according to our ideals of, of the way we think it ought to be. It's according to truth. And people deceive themselves into thinking that they're right with God, but if they're not right, if they're not saved, then they're lost. His judgment will be according to truth. And then according to your deeds. Now, how, how come, how, why would that be? Because your life your actions declare what you really are. If you claim to be a child of God, then you will live as a child of God. Are you with me? If you're not a child of God, your actions will show that you're not a child of God by your lifestyle, and you'll be judged by for those deeds. Amen? Man, this, this is something. Verse 7, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. You see what he's saying here? Let me, let's look at it. You got your Bibles there. Look at it with me. Verse 7, to them by patient continuance. If you're a child of God, you're going to patiently continue in God, in the things of God, in well-doing. You're going to continue to follow His Word and obey His Word and live for Him. Thank you, Jesus. And the Bible says you, will, you are seeking for glory. You are seeking for honor and immortality. Eternal life. Eternal life is not just existence. It's not just existing in heaven. That's not what eternal life is. It's just being there in heaven. Eternal life is full of glory. Eternal life is honor. Eternal life is incorruption. Amen. It's not just existing in heaven forever, but it's a place of eternal joy and victory and glory and incorruption, a glorified body. When you, when you seek to live for God and do, do right, what is right, you are, listen, we're not going to wake up in heaven someday and say, oh, I'm surprised I made it. Nobody gets to heaven and, and are surprised about it. Some people have that concept, oh, I made it, surprise, surprise. No. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. 
And if you and I get to heaven, that means we made up our mind and determined we were going to be there. You won't be there by surprise. There's a lot of people who wake up in hell, woke up in hell today that thought they were on the highway to heaven. That's where they got a surprise. He says this. Verse 8. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Hallelujah. Now the Jews standing there and saying, Oh, we're God's chosen people, right? He has given us His law. He's given us His covenants. And, you know, we're religious to the core. And we're really special. And God will judge the person in the world, but He won't judge the religious people. God's saying, yes, I will. Because my judgment is according to truth. Praise the Lord. Verse 9, he said, Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. Third thing, he ju first, he judges by truth. Second of all, he judges according to the, your deeds and my deeds. And third, he judges impartially. He shows no favoritism. There is no favoritism with God. When He judges, He judges righteously and impartially. And it doesn't matter if you're a Jew and you've been religious and been enlightened or if you're a Gentile unsaved, God is still going to judge the Jew just like He's going to judge the Gentile. And Jewish people today think just because they're Jewish and they're of Abraham's seed that that automatically makes them safe. But God says, my judgment is impartial. It doesn't matter what race you are, what nationality you are. I will judge impartially. I am no respecter of persons. Amen. Hmm. Verse 12. For as many as have sinned without law, the Gentiles. When I say Gentiles, again, I'm talking about all the nations of the world. The law was given to who? Moses on Mount Sinai. The Jewish nation had the law of God, the word of God. Those pagan people, those Gentile nations of the world, God didn't give those Gentiles his law. They didn't have that. Amen. But the Jew says, we've got the law of God. Okay, then God says, okay, you've got my law, then you're going to be judged by the law. You've got my word, so you're going to be judged by the word of God. Listen to me. I'll tell you how dangerous people in America are in right now. They are in serious danger. Because everybody in the United States of America knows more about Jesus Christ than the people Paul was preaching to then. Amen? Everybody's heard about Jesus. Everybody's heard the Word preached. Everybody's even been to church at some point in their life. But 
that only brings greater condemnation. He says this, I'm going to judge people that are in the law by the law. Okay, say somebody doesn't have the Word of God. They're in a country, they don't have the Word of God at all. They've never even heard the Word. Then how's God going to judge them? Is He going to open His law up and judge those people by something that they did not have? No. God's not going to judge people by something they don't have. Listen, judgment will be based upon the light that is available. Let me say it again. God's judgment will be based upon the light that is available. When a person comes to church and they hear the word preached and they hear the truth, then God will judge that person based on the light that was available to them. And if they're not walking in that light, God will judge them by that truth. People out in the religious world who have never heard the truth, God is going to judge them by the available, availability of that truth. Praise the Lord. Then look at this. Okay, well, praise the Lord. He says, the law is going to judge those that have the law. That's the Jewish, that's the religious men. Verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are justified before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. You can come to church 15 times a day. You can come to church every day of the week. And if you just hear the word and you never do the word, it doesn't value you anything. It does not profit you. You must be a doer, not a hearer of the word only. I can hear, I can read the Bible all my life, but that doesn't mean that I've become a doer of the word. I've just become a hearer of it. So God says, I'm going to judge people who've heard the word but don't do it. And I am impartial in my judgment. Thank you, Jesus. Let's continue, though. Verse, verse 14. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. Now, they don't know what God, you know, they don't know the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. People that don't, didn't have the law at that time. They don't know about those things. Amen? But the Bible says that God will judge them. Not by the law, but by a different way. Because they, when they were created by God, everybody that was created by God had put within them the ability to know right from wrong. And that's why laws are set. was born with a conscience if you've never heard the word preached or you've never even read the Bible you will still be judged because God put in you a conscience and you know what's right and you know what's wrong amen but how many of you have obeyed your conscience 100% okay God what God's trying to show us here is this is that 
Yes, the Jews had the law. They had the Word of God, but they did not obey the Word of God perfectly. Therefore, they are condemned. And the Gentile who didn't have the law of God given to them, they, they didn't have the Word of God. But God says they've got a conscience on the inside of them, and they obey the law inwardly. Praise the Lord. Let's continue. Verse 15, which show the works of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. They live by their conscience. And when their conscience says that's not right, they obey their conscience. And when their conscience says that's okay, they obey their conscience. So God says this, I'm going to judge the person who has my word, who has not obeyed my word perfectly, and I'm also going to judge the person who does not have my word, but has been le led by their conscience. And the reason why both are condemned is because neither one has obeyed completely, 100%, their conscience or the word. Praise the Lord. So people in foreign countries that have never heard the Word of God, God's going to judge them and they will be lost and God will be righteous in His judgment because they have never obeyed that conscience that told Him that's not right. They did it anyway. They broke the law of their conscience. So God says, I will judge that person based on their conscience. Verse 16, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. You see, the Lord knows every time the conscience said, no, that's not right. And he knows every time that the conscience says, you know what you're supposed to do and you're not doing it. God knows every thought you have. He knows every time your conscience tells you something and you violate that conscience, God knows those secret things in your heart. And someday the Bible says, you will be judged by every secret thought you've ever had. And every time your conscience said, no, and you did it anyway, God said, I will be able to judge you and judge you righteously because I know even the secret things in your life. I know what you think about. I know what your conscience told you not to do and you did it anyhow. I know when, my, when your conscience said you need to do right and you didn't do it. And God says, I know all about it and I'm going to judge even the secret things of your life. Amen? So God is saying you can't hide anything. Verse 17, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God. You've got greater awareness, then you have greater responsibility. Hallelujah. God is saying that they are, verse 1, that thou art inexcusable. People want to make up excuses, right? God says no excuse is going to stand in that day. You're inexcusable. Oh, but God, I didn't live for you because of this. Oh, God, I didn't live for you because of that. Oh, God, I wouldn't live for you because of that. God said inexcusable. No, I don't accept excuses. 
and the fact that you have more understanding of the truth doesn't exempt you or protect you from my judgment. Because if you're not obeying it, you're just hearing it, and I'm going to judge you. Praise the Lord. You know what God, what has God done for us? I mean, God has given us so much inspiration that we could reach the world. We've heard so much of the Word of God, but we act on very little of it. In fact, we go to church and we hear the Word, and the next week we've forgotten what we heard. That means we're not applying it to our life. We're not living what we hear. Praise the Lord. So because of that, listen, we're America and the American church is under greater condemnation than the people in other parts of the world. Not less condemnation, but greater condemnation. Amen. Are you with me today? You see the Jews standing there, he's boasting in God. Yeah, we've got the law, right? We've got his word. He's thinking, I'm protected. No, God says you're, you're more accountable. And, and know his, you know His will and approve us the things that are more excellent being instructed out of the law. You know the will of God. You know His Word. You're confident that you are a guide to the blind, a, a light of them which were, are in darkness. You're the teacher. You can lead and guide people into the light. You claim that. Jesus told him one day, he said, if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the ditch. You know, because the religious person thinks he's okay, and he walks up to somebody and says, all you have to do is accept Jesus as your personal Savior, boom, you're saved. Well, he's a blind leading the blind. Understand. The blind man that led the blind in the Middle East, he wasn't completely blind. He had just, a, just enough sight to kind of see where he was going a little bit. So all, the, all those that were really blind that couldn't see at all, they would go latch on to the one that could see just a little bit, and they would all follow this, this man. You could see a big old group of them following this man to the beggar's patch where they would beg for alms and things. And this man that could see just a little bit, he would fall off into a ditch. And of course, everybody else that couldn't see at all just started to fall right, one right after another. And we've got religious Jews or religious people today that see just a little bit of truth. But that little bit of truth is going to get them in trouble. Because when they try to tell somebody how to be saved, and if it's not according to the Word of God, then they're, they're like blind guides leading people that are completely blind, and they're falling right into hell. So we better know who we hear and who we listen to, and we better find out if it's in the book, if it's in the Word of God. There's nobody that needs to go to hell. Everybody's got a Bible. If you really want to be saved, all you have to do is open it up and read it, and it will tell you what you need to do. Hallelujah. You, we better know without a shadow of a doubt that we are walking where we need to walk in truth. 
Because somebody who has just enough truth to see a little bit will take you off into the pit of hell with them. Hallelujah. I was talking to somebody the other day teaching a home Bible study, and I said, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to have to make a decision. You're in a religious system right now that doesn't preach all the truth. You're going to have to make a decision and follow the truth. Now, here's what I told them. I was raised in a certain denomination, the Lutheran Church, and they taught me truth. I don't remember a whole lot that they taught me that was wrong. It was right. But the reason why I'm not in that system today is because they don't preach all the truth. And I told them, you're going to have to make a decision if you want the truth or not, or you want to settle for what you've got in religion. Praise the Lord. Come on, church. We're not saying that those churches are not preaching some truth. We're not saying that. We're saying, though, are they preaching the apostles' doctrine? Are they preaching the Word of God? All truth. Amen, amen. They said, yeah, you, you say, well, you're confident that you're a guide to the blind, light of them that walk in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, verse 20, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of truth in the law. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Do you go and rob temples? Do you take holy things of God that are of sacred? Do you take the sacred things of God and, and, and turn them into ordinary things and plain things? Hallelujah. Verse 23, Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God. You see, they're saying, well, if, you know, we're, if you're saved by grace, then breaking the law must exalt the grace of God. God said, no, you dishonor me when you break my law. When you disobey my word, you dishonor me. Look at verse 24. For the name of God is blessed among the Gentiles through you as it is written because of their failure to believe the word of God those Jews were causing the Gentiles to blaspheme because the, the people in the world let me go this way the people in the world were looking at the religious people and they were saying you claim to be a Christian and you live like a devil and so the people of the world were being hindered because they looked at the church and the church wasn't living up to the Word of God. And so now they begin to blaspheme God because of the lifestyles of Christians, because Christians refuse to live and believe the Word of God. Then the people in the world, they look at your life, they say, I don't want what you got if that's what it's all about. If you live in sin, live just like I do, and you claim to be a child of God, nah, we don't want that. So they were maligning the Word of God. They were maligning God Himself. They were cursing the name of God. 
the Gentiles, the people in the world, because they looked at the religious people who claimed to know God, and they were no different. People can look at you in my lives, and you know what? Instead of us causing people to want to come to God, they can look at our lifestyle and see, see you living in sin, and they see all that hypocrisy, and they say, if that's all Christianity is, I don't want nothing to do with it. So God is telling us to be careful that we practice what we preach, and we live by what we teach. And you can always preach better than you can practice. But you have to be careful about what you, what you say and obey it by, by your life. Practice what you preach. Because if you don't, people are going to look at that hypocrisy and it's going to drive them away from God. Amen. Why, why was the name of God, listen, the name of God himself was blasphemed. Why? Because they didn't believe the word of God and because of their disobedience to it. Huh. How many people today have justified themselves and think that they are going to be in heaven and they live in the world and they do the things of the world and yet say, I'm a Christian and do it. God says, you're not going to get away from my judgment. Hallelujah. This is the word of the Lord. This is what God is saying. Verse 25, listen. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Listen, the Jewish people were circumcised, the male children, on the eighth day, and that was a token that they were in covenant with God. That was the outward visible sign that we're covenant people of God. We've got the physical circumcision in our flesh. But God says that, okay, you've gone through the ceremony. You've gone through the ceremony. You've got the physical sign that you're in covenant. Amen. I want to read it so we can follow this. Very important. He said, For circumcision verily profiteth. How does circumcision profit? How does the sign profit? It becomes of value when you obey the word. But if you do not obey the word, then your circumcision is empty. It's ceremony only. All you've become is religious. Okay. Let's read on a little bit. Verse 26. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteous of the law, he's talking about the Gentiles, those that haven't been circumcised, but if they keep the law and they don't have the ceremony, they haven't been circumcised in the flesh, but they keep the law, then what does the Word say? It is counted for circumcision. 
He's saying, you've got this ceremony, you've gone through the ceremony, but you don't obey the law, the Word of God. So therefore, your ceremony is value. It didn't value you anything. But people who were, did not go through the ceremony, who lived by the Word of God, he said that is accounted to them as circumcision. Okay. And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, the Gentiles is what he's talking about, that haven't been circumcised like a Jew, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. Yeah, you Jews have been circumcised, but you've transgressed the law. And you judge the Gentiles who haven't been circumcised, but who obey the law. Okay. Y'all follow me? Who's, which is, who's right? The person who's gone through the ceremony and who's not living it or the person who's living it and not gone through the ceremony? Well, of course, God looks on the heart. God wants the inward reality, not the outward ceremony. Okay? Verse 28, for he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, has this inward spiritual reality, not the, the outward physical ceremony. He says, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of God and the Jews would say we're circumcised and, and all the other Jews would say well good for you yeah that's right yeah we're God's people we've got the ceremony down but God says the important thing is not the approval of men the, appro the important thing is the approval of God okay now listen to me He's not saying, now, in the New Testament time, in our time now in the New Testament after the death of Jesus on the cross, we no longer circumcise, have physical circumcision according to Colossians 2. We don't practice physical circumcision as a sign that we're in covenant with God. Okay. But is Paul saying here that circumcision was not important? Is he saying that if you live the life, then you don't need to be circumcised under the Old Testament? No. Well, if you look at Genesis 17, the Scripture tells us, now I want you to think about this because I'm fixing to move into baptism. Because baptism is New Testament circumcision. We're going to see if we can apply these principles to New Testament baptism. Genesis 17, look, it was required in the Old Testament by God that the Jewish male, eight years of age, was to be circumcised. It was a requirement. It was a token, a sign that they were in covenant with God. Okay, let's look at it. Genesis 17, 10. This is my covenant. Let's all say covenant. 
between me and you and thy seed after thee, every man-child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between me and you. You see what God does? He always begins with the natural first. And then the New Testament will give us the spiritual. So God says the sign that you're in covenant with me is that you take your son and you circumcise him on the eighth day. Hallelujah. So it was required. Continuing, it says, verse 12, And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you every man child in your generations, he that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, slaves, were to be circumcised if they're going to be in covenant. Even the Gentiles, slaves. The Bible says, which is not of thy seed, that'd be Gentiles. In order for them to be in covenant relationship, they had, even if you were a Gentile, had to be circumcised in the Old Testament. Then he says this, he that is born in thy house, and he that is bought with money, verse 13, must needs be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Okay. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, listen to it, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant it was required if that person was not circumcised the Old Testament they broke the covenant with God and were put out from his people that's how serious it was so circumcision was required but what Paul is talking about in this in this second chapter is that you could go through the ceremony and not have the inward reality with it. Because the inward reality will, will produce the life. And if you don't have the life, you might have the ceremony. Listen to me. But the ceremony is of no, no value if you don't have the inward reality. Uh-oh. Was it required? Let me ask you first. Was circumcision required? Yes, it was. Colossians 2. Let's go there. Let's look at something. So some people say, well, huh, that means that if I live right, then I don't have to be baptized because my living right will automatically, my baptism, which is circumcision, if I live right, I don't have to do it, be baptized, because it's just going to be counted to me. Huh. Okay, let's look at what the Word says. Romans. I mean, not Romans. Where am I going? Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. <clears throat> this is so, I can't t tell you how important this is. Okay, look at Colossians 2, verse 8. He says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit 
after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised, listen, with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. He said, now in the New Testament, we are circumcised, but the circumcision is made without hands. It's not a physical circumcision like it was in the Old Testament. So what is New Testament circumcision? The next verse says, Buried with him in baptism. That is how you get in covenant relationship with God in the New Testament. Is when you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, you have entered into covenant with God. Now, Genesis 17 says if you weren't circumcised in the Old Testament, that you broke the covenant and you were cast out. So if you're not baptized in the New Testament, the Bible says, New Testament circumcision is water baptism. If you're not baptized in the New Testament, then you have broken the covenant of God. So is in the Old Testament circumcision necessary? Yes, it is. In the New Testament, is water baptism in Jesus' name necessary? Well, it's the New Testament circumcision. That's what puts you in a relationship with God, a covenant relationship with God. Okay, now let's go back to Romans and let's, let's apply some principles. Romans 2. Verse 25. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law... But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. I can baptize you 100 times in the name of Jesus Christ. But if you don't have the inward reality, if you've not repented of your sins, and you, not, and you are, don't understand that when you go down in water that you are burying the old man, and the Bible says when you come up out of that water, you arise to walk in newness of life, if I baptize you in Jesus' name and your life doesn't change, there has not been any change at all. All you've done is gone through the ceremony, and the ceremony is of no value to you unless it's changed your life. And I've baptized people before in Jesus' name that I know was the, it was only ceremony because they're not walking in the truth. So all they did was get wet. The Bible says in verse 26, Therefore if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? So could you, could you apply that to people today and say, well, if they're living the life of faith, could you say they don't need to be baptized in Jesus' name? No. Because in the Old Testament, circumcision, all right, was commanded to the Jewish people. Baptism in water in the name of Jesus is commanded to all, to everybody. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 
look at it. And shall not circumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is he the circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So ceremony without true faith, and true repentance and newness of life is nothing more than ceremony. You can read the Bible all every day of your life, but if you haven't been born again, it doesn't value you much. It'll value, but not much for salvation. No. You can take the Lord's Supper and go through the ceremony of the Lord's Supper, but if you do not have the inward reality of the new birth, it's no value. It's ceremony. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You see, when I got baptized in Jesus' name, it changed my life. If when I got baptized in the name of the Lord, it didn't change my life, then there was no change. No change. It changed my life because I had truly repented. And when I went down under water, I knew that my sins were being washed away. And when I came up, you know, I knew that I, I'm, I'm going to arise to walk in newness of life. I don't want to live the way I used to live. So my baptism in Jesus' name was genuine. It was real. It was a value because the inward reality had already taken place in my heart. And I went through the outward ceremony and it proclaimed that I was obeying God's plan of salvation because... It was an inward reality, not just a ceremony. So people someday, there's going to be some people stand before the throne of God and say, Jesus, I was baptized in your name. I mean, that's what it says that I needed to do. And Jesus is going to say to some of them, I don't even know you. Because you went through a ceremony, but it was, an inward, it was not an inward reality. It did not change your life. Faith without works is dead being alone. You can stand and say, I've got faith all you want to, but if your life doesn't demonstrate it, you don't have true faith. You don't have living faith. You've got dead faith. Hallelujah. Now listen to me. In the New Testament, if a person, though, you know, they say, well, I've got faith in God. Some of y'all are talking to people and witnessing to Him. Uh, and they've got an experience in God to a point. You're telling them about getting baptized in Jesus' name. And they said, well, I read it, but I just don't feel like I have to do it. Where did you get that? Because the Word of God says in Acts 2.38, Acts 22.16, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19, and on and on it goes, that we are to be baptized in Jesus' name. If you came up with, to the, with the conclusion that you don't need it, where did you get that conclusion? You didn't get it from the Word, and therefore you are manifesting unbelief and disobedience to God's Word when you say, I will not do it because I don't feel like I need it. So you are demonstrating an uncircumcised heart. Praise the Lord. So now we see that religious, becoming religious won't save you. <laughs> you can call yourself whatever you won't call yourself. 
but if you don't have the inward reality and hadn't changed your life, you don't have anything. Praise the Lord. And you can rely upon good deeds and stack up those good deeds till you're blue in the face. Those good deeds are not going to offset your sin. You must go to Calvary. You must bow your knee and repent and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I can't keep going like I'm going, relying upon my own goodness. I have to rely upon your grace. I flee to the cross. I bow on my knee and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And Lord, I want to take your name and have all of them washed away in water. And then God, fill me with your spirit. I want to be born again. I don't want to be religious. I'm going to close with this last example. Nicodemus, the Bible said he was the teacher of Israel. He was the greatest theologian of his day. He, you know, listen. He had all kinds of degrees beside his name that said he was a preacher. He was a teacher. He was in the Sanhedrin court, the highest court of religion of his day. He was the master. He was cultured. He, uh, Nicodemus is Greek. He had Greek culture behind him. People say, well, I'm an American. I must be saved. Listen. Nicodemus had all of those things going from culture, religion, a theologian, a master, a teacher on the highest court. And Jesus looked at that man and said, Nicodemus, you must be born again of the water and the Spirit. And it's hard for religious people to get born again because they feel like they're okay. But the Lord says no. Religion won't save you and good deeds won't save you. You have to go to Calvary. You have to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. So you know what Paul has just done? Next week, if the Lord hasn't come, we're going to continue. But Paul has just laid down the foundation. He said that we're not saved, but by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot be saved unless you go to him for salvation and be born again. He's laying it down. He's saying, the Jew, the Gentiles out in the world, they're lost. He said, the Jewish or the religious person, he's lost. Or even the person who's good, a good person, who tries to live right, is lost. And in Romans 3, 21, he says, the whole world stands condemned before God. Everybody is lost without Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what he's doing in Romans. When I read this, I, I, I have family members, I have friends that are good people. They are religious people. And tears raise up in me because I know that they're depending on their own goodness and their religion to get them to heaven and they don't understand that they're not right with God. And I look at them and I, and I hope and I believe and I trust and I, and I pray, God, yeah, hopefully they're saved. But God's word stands there before me and says, condemned. Amen. Let me read you one verse in Romans 3. 
What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is their circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that under them are committed the oracles of God. And if you'll notice, the Bible says in verse 21, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. When we get over there, you're going to understand even greater. Now, you, you see, you have to have the black covering the black covering the back, black background before you have the diamond of salvation. And you have to understand where you are that you're lost without Jesus before you can ever come to Him. Because if you don't understand that and you believe you're okay, you will stay in the, your lost condition. Next week, I'm going to show you how to get right with God. You can't do it by religion and good deeds and all of that. How can I be right with God? I'm, you stand, you sit here today and you say, I'm guilty, guilty, guilty. Preacher, you've talked to me. I'm guilty today of, of the things you've said. So how can I be right with God? It's only through Jesus Christ. You can only be justified through His redemption by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You must be born again, Jesus said of water. That's when you get baptized in His name and you're born of the Spirit. You must be born again of the water and the Spirit. And once you do that, then listen to me. I'm going to stop right here. But instead of taking one, once you're born again, you are justified right then. The scale of guilt versus goodness, guilt is removed. And you're not depending on your own goodness anymore. Because His righteousness is given to us. So you're justified right then. You don't have to wait till judgment day to see if you made it. Okay? You don't have to run and run and run and then finally get there. You're there and then you start the race. See the difference? You're there and then you start the race. You're justified. So once you become a child of God then your prayer life and then your Bible reading and your church attendance and your soul winning and everything you do becomes important because you are saved and it demonstrates that you are saved hallelujah praise the Lord then it shows everybody around you that what they've got is real that it's not just religion, it's real. I can see it in their life. They live it. It's real. It's vital. It's powerful. It's real. Hallelujah. Why would we want the, the fake when we can have the real? Why would we want to settle for religion and just become more religious when we can have the power of God in salvation? Hallelujah. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we thank you today, God, for your justification. That you justify us, that we're made right, God, 
Lord, we've turned to you. We've fled to the cross. We've repented of our sins, God. We've asked you to forgive us of our sins and wash us with your blood, Lord. We followed through with obedience, God, and obeyed your word and have been baptized in your name so those sins could be remitted. And God, we've been filled with the Holy Ghost, God, and born again, Lord. We thank you that we're in covenant with you, God, by reason of your salvation and your redemption. We thank you for the faith, God, that you've given us. We trust you today to change lives, to transform lives by the power of the Word. Your Word is so powerful and the Gospel is so powerful that there is no person that cannot be reached, God. The person that's in the world just covered up with sin, God, can be reached by the power of the Gospel. The religious person, God, who's only known religion all their life can be saved by the power of the Gospel, Lord. The good person out there, God, that's trying to be saved by their goodness can be saved by the power of the gospel. And that's all that it takes, God. Thank you, Jesus. The gospel of death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whew. Repentance, baptism in that name and being filled with the Spirit in Jesus' name. I pray for every person here today, God, that has heard this word. First of all, I thank you for finding me, God. Now I pray for these people here today, God. You're extending your grace. You're choosing us before we chose you. You're choosing people that are here today before they've chosen you, Lord. That's your grace at work. That's your goodness at work. Your goodness, God, is leading people to repentance. Thank you, Jesus.